Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. James, welcome to another week of Real Personal Finance. Thank you, Scott. Good to be here. What are we going to talk about this week? We have a question this week of should I get a 30-year mortgage or should I get a 15-year mortgage? And I hear I can save a lot of money on interest with a 15-year, and that's why I'm asking. Yeah, this is a this is a pretty common one. I think this is a good one for us to dive into. Um, we always want to save money whenever we can or pay less to other people. But um, I think we have a couple of different ways to look at this that could be really helpful. Let's, let, let's take kind of a, a mock example. Let's not even make it a mock example. You're recently married. I'm recently married. Let's assume Ashley You're and I. You're eventually going to buy a house. I'm going to buy a home. And let's, let's, let's make this relevant to me. Yeah. Let's. So let's say I need to borrow $500,000 to purchase a home. Yes. And um, if people are listening nationally in, in San Diego right now, buying a house for under $600,000 is really hard to come by. So a half million dollar example makes a lot of sense. If you live elsewhere, maybe not the case, but you can do the math. This is a good place for us to start. Good place to start. And the numbers are easier. You yes. choose a nice round number. Absolutely. So let's say I'm going to borrow $500,000. Ash and I are going to go buy a home. Okay. And now, we first have... of all, I'm just going to assume you guys have stellar credit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you have good paying jobs. Mm-hmm. So you're going to qualify for a mortgage we're going to talk about here. Did you go look at mortgage rates recently? We have looked at mortgage rates recently. Okay. What was a 30-year fixed rate mortgage at? Right? It was around 4%. Okay, Give or take four, a few basis 4%. points, but let's talk about 4% just to use round easy numbers. Okay, so you get, you get, you're starting to do this, and, and looking at that number, so whenever we have a mortgage payment, we pay principal and interest together, and that's one monthly payment. Mm-hmm. What would the monthly payment be right now on a 30-year fixed rate mortgage? If I get a 30-year fixed rate mortgage at 4%, the payment would be $2,387 per month. Okay, so you're paying about 2400 bucks for 360 payments. A lot of that, eventually, obviously, you pay off the mortgage, a half million dollars. Mm-hmm. How much would you pay in total interest if you actually lived in the house for 30 years? If I lived there 30 years, didn't pay a dollar more extra any month, I would pay a total total interest payment of $359,000 over the course of those 30 years. Okay. So just we're going to round really easily here. So we're going to pay about $860,000 in total to live in that house. Mm-hmm. Okay, to pay to pay the bank back. To pay the bank now, back. Yeah. Have you looked at what a fifteen year fixed rate? I have, is? and that interest rate is closer to three and a half percent. Okay, so three and a half percent. Clearly, we're going to pay less interest. We're also paying it over a, a shorter period of time, so we're probably going to pay a lot less interest. What would your monthly payment be for you and Ashland if you were to buy a fifteen year fixed rate mortgage? Total interest would be one hundred and forty three thousand. No, so, what would the monthly payment? Be? I'm sorry, monthly payment three hundred three thousand five hundred and seventy four dollars per month. Skipped ahead there, the total interest would be one hundred and forty three thousand dollars, which is about two hundred and fifteen thousand less than I would have paid had I done a thirty year mortgage. Okay, so just to recap, you guys would have to come up with twenty four hundred dollars a month to pay your mortgage if you get a thirty year fixed mm-hmm. rate. 
If you get a 15-year for the same loan amount, you have to pay $1,200 a month more every month, but you also get to pay a lot less interest. You, right. You end up saving about $216,000 in interest. Right, right. Okay. Now, now, here's the thing. When people look at this, a lot of them, I think, believe that they're paying a lot less in interest because the interest rate's lower. And that's partially true, but when you actually look at it, like we'll do here, one of the biggest reasons that you pay so much less in interest on the 15-year is because you're making such a large payment each month towards that. Yeah, and so the the way that mortgages work is there's this thing called amortization, which is a gigantic word. But basically what that means is every single month when you make your payment, a little bit of the money goes to pay principal and some of the money goes to pay interest. And every single month, your interest gets recalculated. So as you pay off more and more of your mortgage, you owe less interest and you get to pay down more principal, mm -hmm. which makes it pay off faster. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what's happening here with the 15-year mortgage. Right. It's paying off so much faster because you're paying a higher rate to pay it off in a shorter period of time. I exactly. Now, as we're looking at this, obviously, in this comparison we're going to have the 15-year paid off way sooner if we're just making minimum payments. Yeah, half the but time. But that's, that's not a real accurate comparison because you're obviously paying about $1,200 more per month just to have the 15-year mortgage than you are to have the 30-year mortgage. Yeah. So here's where if you got, if you, the two of you came and sat down with me and you wanted to buy a house and you were, at, you were so gung-ho about getting that 15-year mortgage, I would push back on you a little bit. Do you know why? Why would that be? So I would want you guys to, because you're a young married couple, and I'd want you to think about things like, do you plan on having kids in the future? Could your costs of living go up in some way that you're not expecting right now? Mm -hmm. Right? Could one of you have a career change in the future and you want more flexibility in your cash flow? Mm -hmm. Right? The moment you lock in that 15-year payment, you have to come up with $3,600 a month to go pay it off. Exactly. Okay, so James, um, imagine that, you know, clearly there are reasons why it might make sense to not lock in such a high 15-year payment. What if you and Ashlyn were to get a 30-year fixed rate mortgage, but you paid it like a 15-year mortgage? So instead of paying $2,400 a month, you paid $3,600. Here's what happens when we run those numbers. So if we take the minimum payment of the 30-year Mm -hmm. and add back on the $1,200, which is the difference between the 30-year and the 15-year. Mm -hmm. So paying it like a 15, as you said. What that does is now our mortgage is paid off in 15 years and nine months. That's really... So, and here's how, personally, how I would think about it for the two of you. That nine months of extra interest that you're going to pay is kind of like an insurance for yourselves. Mm -hmm. Because if you ever come to a time in your life where you don't have $3,600 for that month... Well, you can pay 2400 and you still get to keep your house. It's the cost of flexibility. Yes, it takes nine, nine months longer to pay it off, but you have the flexibility of if there's a month where you don't have that full amount, or you, maybe there's a month where there's another opportunity for another investment elsewhere or another mm. goal elsewhere, you're not on the hook for the full thirty five seventy four per month like the 15-year mortgage would be in this case. Yeah. So to me, that's when you're, when you're thinking about it from a planning perspective, resiliency is such a key component to any financial plan you build. And I think that's where I would push you guys if we were having this example mm -hmm. uh, and you were my clients. Let me ask well, you. Well, I think that's a shock to most people is they don't realize that if you simply paid a 30-year like a 15, it only takes between 9 and 12 months on average of extra payments mm -hmm. to, to get that paid off. Yeah. yeah because people just look at the total payoff time of, oh, I saved 15 years. Well, yes, if you pay significantly more to the 15. Exactly. So 
Okay, so now I think we've kind of broken down pretty well what your three options would be between mm-hmm. the fifteen year, the the thirty year, or paying the thirty year like a fifteen year. What if you weren't con- so concerned about the um, the total interest number though, and you wanted to start thinking it through as what are the opportunity costs of me paying down my mortgage versus putting that extra twelve hundred bucks to work somewhere else? Well, it's a great question because I look at the 30-year and I see the total interest I would pay is $360,000. Mm-hmm. And we look at that and we say, oh my gosh, that's a ton of interest. We need to get that paid off as soon as possible to, to save a ton of money. Well, what we'd look at next is what if we took the, the extra payments or took the extra savings by getting a 30-year instead of a 15-year? And what if we invested that difference instead? So mm-hmm. what if we invested the difference between a 30-year payment and a 15-year payment to see what would that turn out? to be over time. Mm -hmm. And the first question that we had is how much would we need to earn on that investment just to simply break even? So to make it kind of a wash, we weren't any better off uh, with a 15 year versus investing it, it just came out as a wash. And what we saw is that the break even point would be earning 4.3% rate of return on our investments. Mm -hmm. Meaning what that would do for us is if if after 15 years, we invested that difference of $1,200 per month between the 15 year and and the 30 year mortgage, if we invested that and grew by 4.3%, we would have $322,000 after 15 years, mm-hmm. which is exactly how much would be left on the 30-year mortgage after 15 years if we just made a minimum payments. Cool. Okay. I think that makes sense. That's so a lot it, of... And to be to be clear, just for everyone listening, we're keeping it simple here for this um, this concept. We're not building in things like before and after taxes. We're also not, honestly, we're not doing that from a mortgage interest deduction standpoint, which is a different conversation for a different day. But that makes a lot of sense. You're you're, pay, you're choosing to take that $1,200 a month and go invest it. And if you earn 4.3%, you're, you come out equal, essentially. Right. Okay. Right. So, so essentially, if, if you get a better return of 4.3%, then you're ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. If you get 4.3%, you're breaking even. If you get less than that, you're a little bit behind. Right. So the question is, can I get 4.3% in my investments over 15 years? If the answer is yes, then, then we come out ahead. And we looked at those numbers and we said, if we grow at 6% per year, let's assume that Ashlyn and I take that $1,200 and invest it, and that grows at 6% instead of 4.3%. Well, now we have enough money to pay off our entire 30-year mortgage after 15 years, if we want to, and still have profited $23,000. Yeah. If we grow 8%, then we have enough to pay off our mortgage after 15 years and profit about $90,000. And if we grow at 10%, well, we've got enough to pay off our mortgage and profit about 170000 So the numbers are just, for example, kind of hypothetical mm-hmm. cases, what we might be able to get. But the point being, if you can invest that money at 4.3% or more, we've come out ahead. Um, and when we look at this, the, re- the reason we like to talk about that, again, is just because that number, that interest that you pay on a 30-year can seem so overwhelming until you see what simple investments can do along the way to offset that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So again, it comes back to the concept of resiliency, and it comes back to the concept of looking at the opportunities of where you can put your money, either paying it down to a bank or putting it to work somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the one thing that I'll, I'll mention is when you have a 15-year mortgage, it takes away the flexibility, which is can be a negative, but it can also be a positive in some senses. If you're forced to pay that down, the amount of people that are actually paying the 30-year and investing the difference, it's, it's not that many. So it does take some extra discipline. It does take some extra effort on your part to actually do this. Mm-hmm. It's not just going to magically be invested for you. But just looking at all else being equal and looking at the break-even, 
what we see is if you take the 30 year and pay it like a 15 or invest the difference, it's not too hard to come out ahead versus just getting a straight 15 year loan. Right. I mean, and well, the other, the other thing is I think people come at this from the angle of, oh, I want to pay down my mortgage as quickly as possible. Honestly, with rates as low as they are, I can, you can make an argument for not paying down your loan quickly because you get to borrow at such a low rate. And especially if you're a young person like you, you and Ashlyn are, 30 years from now, a $2,400 a month payment is going to be nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's, that, that's a good point. What are some of those other considerations? We looked at just the financial side, and clearly the break-even point is, at least in this example with these numbers, if I grew up more than 4.3% per year, I'm coming out ahead by getting the 30-year and investing the difference. Mm-hmm. What are some of the actual considerations, though, the real-life considerations, not just the financial side that we also need to take into account? And we've already mentioned a couple, but if you want to summarize those. Yeah, yeah. so that's a, it's a good framework to start, to start thinking through what makes the most sense for you. Um, other considerations to look at would be you know, actually looking at, ca- at how much money would you be spending per month, and do you want flexibility or not? Right. Mm -hmm. And what what you'd already made the point of it's easy to do the 30 year and not pay the 15. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to do it and your goal is to pay the 15, I would set it up so it's automated Mm -hmm. and you don't change it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you have the ability to change it. But when you do that, you're kind of breaking a rule that you have for yourself. If Mm -hmm. you automate it and you don't have to think about it, you'll do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's one I would think about. The other would be. um, Honestly, I think a really big one for all of this is just the, the emotions that come behind owing someone else money. Different people feel differently about that. Right. Um, I think you and I could speak to the fact that of all the places to owe someone money, owing money on a house is not necessarily a bad debt. Mm-hmm. It's typically considered a good debt. Um, but there's still people who want to owe nothing at the end of the day to anyone. And if yeah. that's your, if, if that's important to you and you can make all of your financial life work for you, then great. Mm-hmm. It, there's something to be said for that. I kind of fall somewhat in that camp of I just don't like owing money. And yes, is, is there a better return out there? A lot of times, absolutely. But if you just want to know that you're completely debt-free, you can't foreclose on a debt-free home, there, there's something to be said for that. Now, if you do it smart and if you can get a mortgage that falls within some kind of healthy ratio of your monthly take-home income, you probably don't need to worry about that. But the emotional aspect of not wanting to have debt is very real for a lot of people. And so so balancing that with just purely the financial side. Yeah. Uh, I like what you said about cash flow and, and, and what provides for the most amount of flexibility and resiliency. Because as I'm looking at the future, what if we have a family and Ashlyn now stays home and we lose have, an income? What you if know? you have twins? What if we have twins <laughs> and I need to start saving for two college expenses? You know, what if things like that happen? Yes. Well, yes, maybe I could make the 15-year payment today. Maybe I could even make it at that point. But is it is it restricting other things I might be able to do? Or is it is it forcing me to tighten up and, and sacrifice in other areas I don't want to have to sacrifice in? Yeah, Exactly. I think another key consideration, and you you kind of said it. You said they can't foreclose on a on a paid off home, which is true. But the other side of that is, you may not have any liquidity, and mm-hmm. liquidity is just a fancy word that means how can I get cash, mm-hmm. right? So like if you have a million and a half dollar home in Southern California that's all paid off, which is quite easy to do over a thirty year time horizon, that's great. But if you need to pay bills, you can't pay bills with your house, right? right? So there's there's something to be said for having liquidity. So, and all the liquidity means is you have access to it. So 
you know, you have money in a bank account, you have liquidity same day or next day if you have a debit card. If it's in your house, you have to wait to sell your house until you can get the cash. Right. So before you think about paying extra towards your mortgage, you, you know, make sure you have an emergency fund, make sure you have some liquid savings or liquid investment accounts outside of that, knowing that something's going to happen along the way. And if all of your if, if all of your net worth is inside of your house or it's restricted in retirement plans or something like that, it, all that equity in your house isn't going to do you much good when the bank comes. Exactly. A- anything else you want to add for the other considerations? I think that about covers it. So it's it's cash flow. So what are, what's your take-home income and is that enough to support your mortgage, whether it's a 30-year or 15-year? And making sure that you're looking at that both today and in the future as life changes, whether that's job changes, family changes, location change, whatever that might be. It's looking at the actual financial side of what's the what's the break-even rate of return I would need if I wanted to invest by taking a lower payment with a 30-year and taking the savings and investing it, so just the financial side. It's the emotional side of how, how okay are you with debt. Yes, debt of all the debts that there are, debt for a mortgage is probably one of the best ones you can have. So it's not bad debt like credit card debt might be or other debts like that. Uh, but some people just still don't like debt. That's like something to take into account as you're looking at this. And then the liquidity piece of do you have liquid cash reserves or available reserves that you could access if needed because your home equity is not going to do you much good when it comes time to pay the bills. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the one little caveat to add there is you can get home equity lines of credit, but something I always want people to keep in mind is that home equity lines of credit are considered cancelable by banks. And so during the last financial crisis, a lot of people thought they had cash available and banks just came in and cut it right away because it was one of the first places they could go shore up their balance sheets. Mm -hmm. So just always be mindful about that. Um, One thing I think I would add is that if you're thinking about buying a home or refinancing, when you go get a mortgage, shop around. Like, Don't settle for the first rates you see or reach out to three people and just take the lowest rate right then. Like, Take the time to take them back and forth with each other and drive down the price for yourself. If you do that, you will more than likely get a better rate. You obviously want to get the lowest rate with no points and the lowest closing cost possible. And if you take the time to do that, what I've seen from uh, clients is that you can get rates down quite a bit and potentially no closing costs. And in a refi situation, that's wonderful because oftentimes when we look at refinancing, we worry about closing costs. If you can make those go away, it makes refinancing a whole lot um, better on paper. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And did we talk about taxes? I think we briefly mentioned on taxes that we aren't looking at taxes. Yeah. Just to to reiterate, this is overly simplified. Yeah. yeah. There's there's taxes on the investments that we're comparing this to. If you are to actually invest the difference, there's potential tax deduction on mortgage interest. So this is a very, very simplistic comparison we did. Just wanted to reiterate that. For people in Southern California, more than likely, if you own a home with a half million dollar mortgage or higher, you are getting more than likely a mortgage interest deduction. And if you're getting a mortgage interest deduction, it actually makes the cost of borrowing lower than the rate that you see on your statement. Mm -hmm. So that's just something to keep in mind as well. So it actually would make the numbers that we gave you, it would drive down the rate of return for break even. Right, right. It'd be more in your favor to keep that, keep that higher mortgage. Awesome. Anything else we haven't included yet? Mm, I think that's enough for today. Very good. Thanks, Scott. Yep. Good uh, Good chatting with you. Thanks for being my advisor on my, my home purchase. You're welcome. Appreciate that. Anytime. <laughs> Thanks, Scott.
Thank you for listening to episode number 12 of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. We hope you're enjoying the show. And for a list of the resources in the show notes that we mentioned in today's episode, please head over to our website at realpersonalfinance.co. That's realpersonalfinance.co and search for episode number 12. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. We'd love to know what you think. And we'd also love to hear from you. If you have a question that you want us to answer in a future podcast episode, please go to our website. Again, that's realpersonalfinance.co. And there'll be a section on the bottom of each page where you can submit your very own question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you all next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. It should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.